It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. Pastor, if you keep bashing Hollywood, how are we going to change Hollywood for Jesus? I don't want to change Hollywood. I'm not going to change Hollywood. I want to save people out of Hollywood, but you don't ever... Look, it's the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God, and there the twain shall meet, okay? That's Chad Harvey, and welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. Let's go back to Revelation. Remember chapter 1, the background, John who's the last living apostle. He's about 90 years of age. He is basically on Alcatraz. He is on this island called Patmos in the middle of the Aegean Sea. And in verse nine, he says, it's because of the word of Christ and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's kind of sad, isn't it? 90-year-old man spending his last days breaking rocks on a rock island in the middle of the Aegean Sea. And Jesus appears to him. And Jesus says, I want you to write these seven letters to seven churches on the the mainland of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And when their representatives come to visit you here on the island of Patmos, they're going to take those letters back and distribute those those letters to those churches. Remember I told you a couple weeks ago, there are three levels of significance with these uh, seven letters. Number one, it's obviously to particular churches 2,000 years ago dealing with situations going on in their churches 2,000 years ago. That's one level of significance. There's a second level, though, Some of what Jesus is dealing with is what basically all churches throughout church history have had to deal with, and so it's really for all of us. There's a third level of significance as well, and these seven letters may be a prophetic picture of the seven church ages from the time the church started until Jesus Christ comes back. If you mess with the order, it doesn't work. In the order that they are, you start to see the the whole panorama of the seven ages of the church. One scholar put it this way. The most amazing discovery, however, of these seven letters is their apparent prophetic application. These letters describe with remarkable precision the unfolding of all subsequent church history. And so today Jesus writes a letter to the church at Smyrna. Here's a a map of uh, Smyrna. Again, it's modern day Turkey. The the town today is not called Smyrna. It's called Izmir, Turkey. And you see it right there. It's on a harbor. In fact, people who lived during the time of Christ said that Smyrna, again, modern Izmir, had the most beautiful harbor of the ancient world. In fact, it was one of the most beautiful cities of the ancient world, kind of like a resort city. Beautiful city. Kind of interesting, though. The man that designed the city left off one important feature. He put, didn't put drains in the city. And so when it rained, sewer just kind of ran all through the So it was a beautiful city and it's a stinky city as well. The word Smyrna literally means myrrh. Y'all remember what myrrh was? That was that embalming spice that the wise men brought to Jesus. And the Matthew says when Jesus died, they embalmed him with Smyrna or, or myrrh. And supposedly... The, the, uh, the fragrance of Smyrna, myrrh, is only released when it is crushed. I think there's some significance to that. And so Jesus is writing this letter to basically the city of embalming fluid, Smyrna. And when that city started, 
they ran into two problems. First of all, Smyrna was the epicenter of emperor worship. They had been with the emperor through several campaigns. They had supported men in the past. And so the emperor bestowed special status on that city and made it the center of, of, of emperor worship. In fact, there was a temple there in the city called the temple to Dea Roma. Dea Roma was a female embodiment of the spirit of Rome. And if you lived in uh, Smyrna, you were expected once a year to go to the temple of Dea Roma and burn some incense and pledge your loyalty to the goddess of Rome. And if you did that, they would give you a certificate. And that certificate would allow you to buy and trade and go into stores and, and that type of thing. It was like the first century equivalent of uh, the uh, corona vaccine, okay? <laughs> too, too soon? Okay, sorry. All right, so, you know, but that's, that's kind of what it's like. So they, they have this problem. They're now trying to operate the church at the epicenter of emperor worship. Second problem they have is there is a very strong influential Jewish population in Smyrna and they hated Christians. There was a lot of animosity and they persecuted them. So as a result of these two things, they're operating in the city of emperor worship and there are these Jewish leaders who hate them. Christians in Smyrna are going through severe persecution. They're losing their jobs. They're getting arrested. Soon some of them will be tortured and executed. And it's to these Christians that Jesus writes this letter, Revelation 2, 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last. Stop. That title, the first and the last, is used all over the Old Testament to describe Yahweh, God. And Jesus now says, this letter is from me, the first and the last implication, Jesus is God. Don't tell me Jesus never claimed to be God. He's claiming to be God right here when he calls himself the first and the last. Who was dead and came to life. Church, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Listen, you understand this. Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. Did you know that? Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. Why is that? Well, the Bible says there's two systems in this world. There's the kingdom of God, and there's this kingdom that the Bible calls the cosmos, or the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this world, the cosmos, hates Jesus, hates the Bible, hates preachers, hates the gospel. That's the cosmos. And I'll tell you, the visible manifestation of the cosmos that we all know in the world today really is Hollywood. That's what I call Hollywood. That is the visible manifestation of the, of the cosmos. And people say, now, Pastor, if you keep bashing Hollywood, how are we going to change Hollywood for Jesus? I don't want to change Hollywood. I'm not going to change Hollywood. I want to save people out of Hollywood, but you don't ever, look, it's the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God and near the twain shall meet, Okay. And so Gordon Conwell did a uh, study a little while back, said that from the founding of Christianity until now, 
There's been about, listen to this, it'll blow your mind. There's been about 70 million Christians killed for their faith. From the founding of Christianity until today, 70 million Christians have died for their faith. But here's what's interesting to me. Uh, In the 1900s, the 20th century, 45 million Christians alone were killed for their faith in the 20th century. 70 million from the beginning of the church till today, 45 million of that was just killed in the last century alone. And it's interesting as well, of those 45 million uh, Christians who have been killed, 31 million were killed by atheists and about 9 million were killed by Muslims. Persecution is coming to America. Y'all do realize that, don't you? It's not just in the church at Smyrna. It's not just in Iran. It's not just in North Korea. It's coming to America. Anybody else here find it ironic that the group that talks about choice the most wants choice for us the least? Isn't that ironic? Whether it be school choice or this kind of choice, it's kind of interesting. We evangelicals, here's what they say about us. Y'all only care about the unborn. What about all these other social issues? So we step in to try to take care of these social issues and we're told we don't want your help. The, the true body of Christ will one day go through persecution here in America. And so, Pastor, what do we do? Well, here's what Jesus says to this church at Smyrna, going through real persecution. He says, I know your poverty, verse 9, but you are rich. Isn't that interesting? I know you're poor, but you're actually rich. Contrast that to what he says to the lukewarm, wealthy church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, 17. He says, y'all say I am rich, but you're actually poor. To this church, he says, y'all say you're poor, but you're actually rich. Why? Because there is value in persecution in particular and suffering in general. Some of y'all are not being persecuted, but you're suffering right now. You're in a family situation that seems to be collapsing. Some of you are struggling with with mental illness and, and the pain is more intense than any kind of physical pain you could be going through. Some of y'all are going through physical pain. Some of y'all here are going through cancer treatment. Some of y'all may not be being persecuted, but you are suffering. And Jesus is saying to those of us who are being persecuted or who are suffering, I know you say you're poor, but you're actually rich. There's value in suffering. And Peter says the same thing. In 1 Peter 2, he says, church, you will suffer. 1 Peter 4, church, you will suffer. 1 Peter 5, church, you will suffer. And then he says this in 1 Peter 5, 10, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. In other words, some of y'all think God has abandoned you because you're suffering right now. What if he's not abandoned you? What if God is saying, I am doing something bigger, greater, more marvelous in your life that would blow your mind if you could see it. I am doing more in your life now through suffering than I ever did through prosperity. And how can God bless us through suffering? What is it about suffering that, um, that, that benefits us? Well, let me give you several things. Number one, suffering has a purifying effect. I've seen this before in this church. When people, they're prosperous, the, the, the gas tank in their Cadillac is full. Everybody likes them. The kids are making great grades. Everybody on Facebook is liking everything you got. Everything is going well. And we get fat and sassy and we start to wander from the Lord. I have seen in my life and you've seen in your life, when I go through seasons of suffering, it's almost like some things that I'm wrestling with just get burnt off. 
And we see this in the Bible. First Peter chapter one, verse seven says, our faith is tested through the fire. Psalm 66, 10 says, God refines us like silver. The Bible talks about God sitting like a silversmith refining us. It's interesting. This verse puzzled several ladies that met for a weekly Bible study. They discussed the meaning of this verse about God refining us like silver. And what are what this said about the nature of God? One of the ladies in this weekly Bible study offered to do some research in the refining process of silver and have some additional thoughts the next time they met together for their Bible study. So she made an appointment with a silversmith and watched him work. She didn't tell him why, he was, why she was there. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat. The silversmith explained that while refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were the hottest so as to burn away all the impurities. Some of y'all are going through a hot fire right now. God's burning off some impurities. The woman thought again about God holding this in such a hot spot and then she thought about that verse that says he sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver and she asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the entire time. The silversmith answered yes. Not only must he sit there holding the silver but he also had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left in the fire a moment too long it would be destroyed. And the woman was silent for a moment. She asked the silversmith well then how do you know when the silver is fully refined. He smiled at her and answered, oh, that's easy. When I see my image reflected in the silver, then I know it is refined. Some of you right now are going through the fire, you're going through the heat, God is refining you, and when this season of suffering is over, he is gonna see the son of God reflected back through your life, through your testimony, God is gonna see his own reflection in you when this refining process is done. So number one, silver, our faith, our life, is refined through suffering. And then number two, suffering, watch this, it brings us closer to Jesus. How many of y'all have prayed this? Oh, Lord, I just want to know you better. You mean that? Because I look back at my life, and when I got to know Jesus the most was during my times of suffering. Y'all really want to get to know Jesus better? And it's, it's very interesting. Um, on the refining process, there are seven churches mentioned in these letters. Only two, Jesus doesn't have anything bad to say. The church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia. That's what I mean. He, he, he refines us and, and whatever. But number two, Jesus says to this church at Smyrna, it's very interesting. He says in verses eight through nine, I am the one who was dead and came back to life. I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He says, look, I know what, what you're going through. I was dead. I was arrested. I was persecuted. Some of y'all are going through the same things. Jesus says, I know your tribulation. I know what you're going through. I love you, but if you really want to go know Jesus, you're gonna have to go through a season of suffering. That's the only way around it. And in fact, Paul says something that's always blown my mind. He says this in Philippians chapter three, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. And we all say, yes. 
And he says, in the power of his resurrection. And we say, yes. And then he says this, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. In other words, I will never truly get to know Jesus until I've suffered. Uh, John Patton was one of my missionary heroes. He was um, a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. It was the uh, South Pacific. This was back in the early 1800s. Nobody went there. All, there were cannibals all over the place. And um, I think it was him that when he says, I'm going to the New Hebrides Islands, I think it was him. They said, well, look, you'll be eaten by can- cannibals. He said, well, look, if I stay here in Europe and die in old age, I'll be buried and eaten by worms. If I go there, I'll be eaten by cannibals. Either way, I'm going to be eaten. Might as well go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he goes to the New Hebrides Islands with his, his wife and his infant child. And she dies. And then a short time later, the child dies. So with his own bare hands in that hard earth, he had to dig her grave and his grave and he buries those children and he's going through all the grieving process and then a local native came to him and said, hey, you need to understand, I've gotten word that this cannibal army is gonna come and burn your house down and kill you. I'm just giving you a fair warning. And Patton said, when are they gonna do that? He said, tonight. So John Patton crawled up in a chestnut tree and as the sun is setting he hears that army coming and they're yelling and they're shouting and they're looking for him and they want to burn his house down and they want to kill him and he's in that chestnut tree and he says this quote the hours that I spent in that chestnut tree still live before me I heard the frequent shots of the muskets and the hideous yells of the savages I mean you get the picture wife's buried there he's in this tree he's looking down at his wife's grave He's looking down at his son's grave and now he's looking at people who want to kill him. Then he says this, yet never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me. I was alone, but I wasn't alone. Listen to this. I would cheerfully spend many nights alone in such a tree if I could feel again my Savior's presence as I felt it that night. Isn't that powerful? What he's saying is, I got to know Jesus more that night through suffering than any other time in my life. I heard a man years ago, he's talking about his son, young son who had cancer and his son had fought the fight and his young son died of cancer and this man said, it really threw my faith for a, a loop. And he said, I wasn't supposed to question God, I wasn't supposed to yell at God. He said, I, I tried to wrestle through this and then the night came, I couldn't help it anymore. He said, I looked up into heaven and I just shouted, God, where were you when my son died? And God spoke to him and said, I was standing in the same place I was when my son died. And he said, in that moment, I knew the heart of God in a way that I'd never known it before. So what does suffering do? It purifies us. Suffering draws us closer to Jesus. And then number three, suffering advances the gospel. You know, history says that Smyrna became the epicenter of a mighty move of God. And in fact, and I don't know a lot about the, 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 the church community there today, but Smyrna, Izmir, Turkey, is actually one of the few places in Turkey where there is a thriving Christian community. And there was something that happened in that whole area that came about as a result of the persecution of the church in Smyrna. Persecution never destroys the church. Persecution always makes the church stronger. Satan has had 2,000 years to figure this out. I don't know why he doesn't figure it out. Persecution never destroys the church. It always makes it stronger. In fact, do you know where the most intense persecution of of Christians are today? One of the most intense places is uh, Iran. 
Do you know what nation is seeing the greatest church growth in the world today? Iran. There is something about persecution that advances the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if what I'm saying is true, that we're gonna go through suffering and the day may come, we as a church may go through persecution. Well, what should our response be? Well, let me give you, let me give you two things. Look at verse 10. Here, you understand the question? If persecution is real and it's coming, if suffering is real and it's coming, then what should our response be? Look at verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Two things we're supposed to do if persecution and suffering is coming. Number one, jot this down. Be fearless. Do you see that? Don't fear any of the things that you're about to suffer. A few years ago, we, we as a church, I don't know how this happened, we adopted this Hebrew word, chazak. Some of y'all are wearing that shirt that we have that says chazak. I don't make any money off this, but just to let you know, we actually had mugs made. It's in our resource center that has that Hebrew word, chazak. Have y'all seen that? And uh, Dawn, I bought one. I drink my coffee out of it every morning. Chazak, be bold, be strong. I wasn't sure why God dropped that word, chazak, be bold, be fearless, into our church. But after last year, I think I know why. In a society where everybody's losing their mind and scared to death, God says to this church, y'all be bold and be strong. And there's something about, listen, boldness is very contagious. Have you noticed that before? It just takes a couple of strong men and women to stand up and pipe up and be bold and there's a trickle down effect. Have you noticed that? Have you also noticed this as well? People who are living in fear get angry at those of us who are bold. Have you noticed that? Like, where's your problem? You know, don't you know what's really going on? Blah, blah, blah. You know, your head's in the sand. My head's not in the sand. I'm just not scared. Don't get mad at me because I'm not scared. And um, it's interesting. When you're not afraid of dying or losing your job, when you just don't care anymore, that takes a lot of fear out of the equation. I mean, I love y'all and I want to keep passing here. But if y'all fire me tomorrow, I'm okay with that. I've said this before, I, I wanna go drive a truck for a living. Now, I have horrible spatial skills. I can't even pull into a parking space without it being crooked, but I still wanna be a truck driver. And y'all remember the 1970s show, BJ and the Bear? I wanna have a little chimpanzee with me and do the horn, I want all that stuff. So look, when you don't care if you lose your job or not, it takes a lot of fear away. Hey, when you don't, if you're not afraid if you die or not. I'm not being cavalier, I'm not being weird about this. I'm just saying I'm now to the point to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a win-win situation. And that's what Jesus is saying to the church. And evidently this command to be fearless sunk in. Because there's a young man in that church named Polycarp. Have you ever wondered, okay, we've got our Bible. We know what happened to Peter, John, James, all those guys. Have you ever wondered, okay, what about the next generation after the Bible was written? What was that like? Well, John, the man that wrote this, had a protege named Polycarp. Polycarp evidently is at this church in Smyrna and he, he hears the pastor say, I got this letter from the island of Patmos. Jesus told us, be fearless. And later on, that man, Polycarp, grew up to be pastor at that church at Smyrna. And um, Polycarp was murdered in 155 AD at the age of 86. 
And after he was murdered, the church at Smyrna wrote a letter to let all the other churches know what happened to their pastor. It'd be like me dying today and y'all writing a letter to all the churches in North Carolina to let, let them know what happened to Pastor Chad. And that's what the church at Smyrna did. And here's what they wrote. They said it was at the time here in Smyrna of the public games. The city of Smyrna was crowded and the crowds were excited. Suddenly a shout went up, away with the Christians. Let Pastor Polycarp be searched for. Pastor Polycarp could have escaped, but already he had had a dream in which he saw the pillow under his head burning with fire, and he had awakened from that dream to tell his disciples, I will be burned alive. His whereabouts were betrayed to the persecutors by a little slave girl who had collapsed under torture, and they came to arrest him. Not even the captain of the soldiers sent to arrest him wished to see the old man die. On the brief journey to the city, the soldiers pled with the old man, what harm is it to say Caesar is Lord and offer a sacrifice to save your life? But Polycarp was adamant that for him, only Jesus Christ was Lord. He entered the arena in Smyrna. The proconsul gave him the choice of cursing the name of Christ and making a sacrifice to Caesar or death. And Polycarp's words are these, 80 and six years, have I served him and he has done me no wrong? How can I blaspheme my king who saved my soul? The proconsul threatened him with burning. Polycarp replied, you threaten me with a fire that burns for a time and it's quickly quenched for you do not know the fire that awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and an everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come do with me what you will. He remained unmoved. So the crowds came flocking with sticks from the workshops and the Jews, even though they were breaking the Sabbath law by carrying such burdens, were foremost in the clamor and bringing wood for the fire. And they were going to bind him at the stake. And Polycarp said, leave me as I am for he who gives me the power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved. So they left him loosely bound in the flames and there he died for Christ. This is what happened to the pastor of the church at Smyrna. This is the Polycarp who knew the Apostle John. That's boldness right there. Would to, and I mean this in the best possible way, would to God that that kind of boldness rise up in the American church. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. I believe gathering together is an integral part of the life of a Christian. We're meant to live in community with others. What drew me to Cross Assembly is the community, the fellowship. I was eager to get that family feel and to have that moment of coming into church and just knowing these are my people, these are the people of God. And one way that I felt that at Cross was through groups. Being able to come here and feeling like that group of people, they were my people, they were my family. Groups are important because it is a way to learn how to be the church and not just go to church. It's one of those things that definitely makes you feel a sense of belonging, understanding that you're not alone. One of the most impactful semesters we've had has been a semester where almost everyone in our group was going through big life changes. There was sickness, loss of job. As one person shared, we prayed. Then another person was encouraged and they shared and we prayed. Throughout that semester, we saw God move in amazing ways. We have this saying that friends become family. That's what we've experienced through gathering together. 
together. You're finding people who are serious about their faith, who want to grow deeper, who also are looking out for you like a church family supposed to look out for each other. My relationship with God has increased dramatically. Being connected to the group really allows people to challenge me. That general accountability for my prayer life and kind of checking that. My favorite aspect of groups is serving. Serving is really a chance to humble yourself. You're no longer focused inwardly. You're no longer focused on your life, your problems. You're focused on how can God use me to bless this other person. The more we can get together and align with the vision of building and sending out those Spirit-filled agents, the more our community will see the true love of Jesus. When you serve together with someone, it not only helps you to no longer be inward-focused, but it can also strengthen a bond between the friend that you're serving with because both of you are humbling yourselves in order to help someone else. It can create memories that you'll never forget. If you are not in a group, I strongly encourage you to be a part of the family. You don't want to miss these opportunities to grow together, to gather together, to fellowship, and to serve one another. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered. Unfiltered.